Welcome to Nova Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build a purpose-driven life. We're going to talk about mindset, mental models, actionable tactics, such that you can take everything that you learn and build your own purpose-driven life. My name is CK Lin. I've been a biomedical engineering PhD at UCLA. I've been a director of the UC uh, system. I've been a startup executive. I've been an executive coach. I've been on a quest to create a purpose-driven life. My next guest, he's a seasoned tech entrepreneur. He ran a game studio. He launched a social impact e-commerce platform, Breath and Shoes. He's a self-realization coach who helps people find their purpose, harness their superpower, and manifest magic. Please welcome Tian Mu. Hey there. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Let me start out with something simple. How was box breathing for you? How's what? I love it. Because actually every morning I do Wim Hof. You know, mm. I do that for about 15 to 20 minutes. That's how I kick off my day. So I'm, I'm no stranger to breath work. So actually say more about that because I would do it from time to time, but it's not a regular practice for me. So for someone who is doing it regularly, please tell me why you do it regularly. So the problem today is most people um, don't breathe properly, which means uh, people are taking very shallow breaths. And when mm -hmm. that happens, you're just not oxygenating your body. You're not getting enough oxygen into your body, especially into the center of your brain, which is very important. So when you do Wim Hof breaths, you take very deep breaths and you get the breath all the way down to your belly, right? Not just in your lungs, but all the way down to your belly and then you hold and then you let go. There are many ways to do it. And when you do this for about 15 minutes, you could feel your whole body just vibrating. In the first month or first two months that I started doing it, I could feel my each chakra spinning on my body. It just felt amazing. Now I, I still like my face and, and my, my hands get numb somewhat a little bit, but not as much as before. I've been doing it every single day without exception um, for nine months. And also since I started doing it, I have, ne I have not gotten sick at all. Not as okay. Sick. So, so that's one benefit. If you don't yeah. want to get sick, do this, right? Exactly. Because it boosts your immune system big time. Well, the benefits is there. So do you perform better at sports, given that you oxygenate your body? I'm, really? I'm sure. I don't really play sports. I do yoga. I work out, but I'm always very energetic. So I can't really tell the difference, but I do think I get more clarity. Like my mind is clearer. I have. Yeah. That's actually very enrolling for me. Someone like me, I don't necessarily need to run faster or longer, even though I want to, but it's not like a core desire that I have. But if you, anything around the mind, mental performance, clarity, yeah. Energy, that's oh, okay. That's something that, that I desire. So, so that's interesting for me. Anything else that's non-obvious to. Well, also it, cause given the kind of, if you eat meat, if you, you live in a city where there's a lot of, you know, pollution in the air, your blood tends to become very acidic. But when you take these really deep breaths, you get oxygen, oxygen into your body, then you alkalinize your blood. So you don't have to go pay a lot of money for those fancy water with water. You just take really deep breaths throughout the day. You do, you achieve the same effect. So mm. I highly recommend it. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're very now, welcome. I want to start off by talking about breath and shoes first. 
Because I uh, part of my research was watching the evolution of who Tian Mu is. And so I watched videos of you 11 years ago and watched 11 years ago. Yeah, you were on a game show talking about your game studio. But what I want to say about Bread and Shoes here is that the purpose of why you started it, the context that you operate this business is very palpable. It's very clear. You're here to give these homeless people with dignity and compassion and understanding and, and, and tools for them to gain confidence, right? This is not something that you say outright, but it's palpable. It's, it's felt. Then you also bring to the forefront, the problems slash challenges of homelessness and how close, how fragile that really anyone could potentially be homeless, given the, um, economic situation, COVID or whatever it may be really appreciate how much compassion that you bring to concretize, to tangibly bring benefits, tools of confidence to this population. So thank you for doing that. First of all, could you tell us the origin story of Bread and Shoes? Sure. <laughs> to be honest, I, I really can't take credit for this um, because the origin, the idea, this vision came through me one day, I would say through this very powerful meditation. I was just shown this vision, shown this idea, this concept, this business. And to be honest, I, before I never had any interest in e-commerce or men's shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I've always been in, um, you know, the nonprofit world. I love to serve. I love to help people. And also living in Los Angeles, there was a major homelessness issue. And that's everywhere. Yeah, um, about, so, about what, um, close to a, about a hundred thousand people or some, some ridiculous. Yeah. Official numbers like 85,000. I'm sure there, there are people that are unaccounted for. 85,000 is 85,000. That's like uh, the size of Burning Man, basically. <laughs> exactly. In, in downtown LA or all over LA. That's a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. So when this vision was shown to me and it was just so powerful that I just surrendered and said, yes. Even though at the time I had no idea how to do this, you know, what to do this, but I just figured, Hey, um, you say yes. And then you do it, <laughs> you figure it out. You just trust the universe that resources, the right people, everything will just line up and they'll show up. And they did. It's been a really amazing, beautiful journey so far, but I would say it's not the journey that I thought it would be, <laughs> but I think that's just life. And it's also, I think it's showing me more about who I am than anything else, I would say. I'm learning with my prior venture, which was a game studio, working with a lot of people, had teams, working with partners, you know, working with publishers, with distributors, you know, whereas now with Brethren, it's been just me for the most, right? I, I did have a partner in the beginning and I had some other people who assisted me along the way, but I never really had a team for this journey. So it became like from an entrepreneur to a solopreneur to really explore that path and ask myself, is this what I want? Is this fun? You know, is this, does this serve my highest good? It's been really beautiful. Um, and, and also part of this journey, I would say that the part that I get most fulfillment out of is really when I go deliver those donation shoes. And when I sit down with the homeless people, I, at the beginning of last year, you know, January of 2019, I kicked off this program called um, Brethren Support Circle. 
You know, I did that with a few of my friends and dear brothers, including, you may even know George Kansas, right? My dear friend, Anthony Samadani. Anyways, we have people, we went and we sat down with these, with these folks, they're, they're aged between, I would say like late teens, all the way to their seventies. Sometimes I would sit with four or five people, sometimes with 25 people. And we spend two, three hours and just talk and, and listen. And to be honest, those were the moments that I just felt, yes, this is why Brethren exists. <laughs> this is why I'm here. Yeah. So what, what are some of the things that you learn from having these conversations with the homeless people? Everyone has a story, right? Before my Brethren journey, I would say, and also just talking to a lot of, you know, other people about this homelessness issue, right? A, a lot of times you hear people say, that's a choice they chose, or they're just lazy, or they don't want to do anything. And once you sit down and talk to them, you realize, oh, that is not the case at all. Most people don't choose to become homeless. <laughs> and, and also homelessness can really happen to anyone. I've seen homeless folks who were professors at like UC Berkeley, who were investment bankers, who were lawyers, who were actually celebrities, movie stars that became homeless at one point. And you just look at how one little mistake or one, say a medical bill that you can pay, and it's a giant thing. And then suddenly you, you can't uh, say your mom got really sick and she can pay her bill and now you have to pay her bill. And then you have to go to the, uh, you know, the hospital to see her all the time. And suddenly now you're late on your, your uh, mortgage or your rent. And then you can't go to work and then your, your company fires you because you're not there all the time. And now have an income and you can just see the snowball, like it gets bigger and bigger. And then next thing you don't have a job, you can't pay rent, you get kicked out. You don't have a support system. That's another problem with our society today, today is that we're no longer family oriented. We're not tribal anymore. We don't have others to catch us when we fall. So when that happens, then suddenly you're on your own and we're not built that way. That's not how the human race was designed. We're built to be there for each other, to help each other, to catch each other. So that's really, you realize this is a, uh, it's a systemic issue. And also there's a lot of shame around being homeless. Even though those people, they're out there, they're begging, they're asking, do you know what it takes to actually stand on the street corner holding up a sign and say, hey, can you give me some change? Like I tried to put myself in those shoes. I couldn't do it. You know, I'm too scared, too shameful to even do something like that. Yeah, so there's just a layers upon layers of issues and also domestic abuse. It's a huge one for a lot of women. Since their boyfriends, they abuse them and then kick them out of the house where they run away. They suddenly, again, they don't have a support system. They have nowhere to go. Now they're in the streets and sometimes they're out in the streets with their, their children. They're very vulnerable. They're just, man, <laughs> there are just so many issues. And this is, but I realize what it comes down to it's not about government handouts. I think the foundation is really about compassion. I, I feel people need to have more compassion, more sympathy and empathy for these people. You don't look at them and go, you're not my problem. You're not my problem. Right? I don't have a problem. Right? You chose that life it has nothing to do with me. No, you, you can't. We're all connected. We're all one family. I, I look at everyone on the street. I go, oh, there's my brother. There's my sister, <laughs> just the brother I don't know yet. <laughs> right. sister. They're all, we're all part of the same family. And would you do that or feel that way for your own, for your siblings, for your mom, your dad, your 
you know, grandma, grandpa for your own children. So if, if that person were your own child, your own sister, what would you do for them at this moment? I also realized, you know, I want to help everyone at once, but at the same time, it's like I have limited resources and time mm -hmm. and energy. So who can I help? And I, I just make, made, made a note, you know, I go, okay, a mental note, which is I'll help those that are in front of me. If someone is in front of me that needs help and I am able, I'm going to devote my time, energy, and money to that person. I may not be able to help 10,000 people, but I can help him or her this moment. Yeah. Most people don't know this, but at one point I was very curious about the issue of homelessness and the ex-girlfriend at the time wanted to volunteer in a homeless shelter. So we actually flew all the way from Chicago to New York and stayed in a homeless shelter for two weeks as part of their resident volunteer. And then in the, that experience, I got to intimately converse and live amongst them. And I learned so much actually. So a lot of my preconceived notions about this is a lifestyle choice. And for some cases, yes, some people prefer to be homeless, right? But most of them, as you said, they don't. And some people also, what's interesting for me is I thought at the time when I was in my early 20s or 18 or 19 or something like that, hey, food is food. If you're hungry, here's sandwiches, soup, whatever. But some of them actually have dietary preferences. Oh, I don't want that. I don't eat meat or I don't want weed or I don't want white. Like, they would reject it even though they're hungry. So I was like, oh, that's really fascinating for me to learn at, when I was 18, 19. In hindsight, it's obvious, but at that time I was like, oh, it's a whole different way of looking at human beings as human beings. I'm really glad you had that experience. And actually after I launched uh, Brethren, I learned through a few of my friends that they were also homeless at one point in their lives and they never told anybody. You just and I was really surprised. Some of them they were celebrity trainers. One guy was a very successful investment banker who lives in Hong Kong. They all then came to me, you know, privately and said, Tian, you know what? I was homeless when I was a teenager, or I was homeless in my late twenties or thirties, or I was homeless when I had my first child. I was like, what? Really? And then yeah, or someone would say, Yeah, I was homeless when I went to UCLA. I, I lived in my car for two years. I was like, oh my goodness. And they didn't share that with most people or with anyone because of shame, because of guilt. So this is really, it's a major issue. It's an issue that people don't want to talk about. And, or maybe some people choose not to see it, but it's around us. And that really surprised me to know that I actually, I personally know people who were homeless. Mm. Right? And I had no idea. For all I know, all of us here watching, listening, we may know someone in our lives right now who was or is homeless that you're unaware of. Homelessness is such a big problem. So I don't think we can solve it in our conversation right now, but I'd love to hear, because you've been doing this for what, three years? Yeah, about right? three years. Yeah, about three, three years. I launched the site two years ago. Yeah, so, so you're immersed in this problem or challenges for the last three years. What are some of the things that's, so we know that it's very complex. What are some of the, the things that that's to learn about this challenge? And what are some of the possible solutions that after being involved in this space for, for three plus years? 
maybe maybe I'll contextualize this, this a little bit. Some people say, all right, let's go upstream. One, the, one of the most obvious solutions that people always say is mental health. Let's make sure that this is a mental health issue. Let's, let's solve it with mental health care or services. And then some people say, no, let's give them a home. So these are two different ways of trying to address this issue. So what are some of the other things that you guys maybe a little counterintuitive. Let's go even higher stream or help them pay bills. So what have you seen so far? I think at the end of the day, the first thing you got to do is to sit down with each person and understand how and why they became homeless, right? Mm -hmm. every, every case is totally different. So mental health issue, for instance, some people may have that issue before they became homeless, but I believe now, again, I don't have data on this, but just talking to some of those people and seeing their lives, especially if someone is chronically homeless, right? If they've been homeless for 10 years, 15 or 20 years, 30 years, you will develop mental health issues. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you started out as just, you know, you or me right now, right? Once you're in the streets for that long, you live under fear every day. You're not, you don't know if you're going to wake up to someone, you know, pointing a knife at you or waking up, losing everything again, or, you know, next day, not knowing where you're going to sleep, if you're going to have food to eat, or the, or you may get stabbed, right? Like all these things it's, and also being isolation. And that's another thing people don't realize when you're homeless, you have no one to talk to. I think more than anything else, when I talk to really spend time with homeless people, I realize more than material things, what they really need is human connection. They feel invisible. They feel like they may be standing there on the street corner, but nobody sees them. No one notices them. No one cares about them. Like they want a hug more than they want $5. Mm. Like that's something probably people don't ever think about, or you may not realize. It's not something they want to be known as a homeless. And this is why in the community, or when I talk about profits, we don't call people oh, that's a homeless person. We just say, that's a person experiencing homelessness. <laughs> you know, it's not just being PC. It's really for them, it's like, oh, that's just what they're going through right now. Yeah. They don't want to define someone by that. It's just, I don't want to be defined by the guy who lives in a one-bedroom apartment. Now, I don't live in one-bedroom <laughs> apartment, but I'm just saying, no, no, that's, 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 you don't that's know, like, oh, that guy, yeah. oh, yeah, he's that one-bedroom apartment guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, yeah, he or she is experiencing homelessness right now, but hopefully that's just a transient state that mm -hmm. they'll come out of this. I think really, we just got to sit down and talk to each person, understand, you know, where they are. So again, earlier I mentioned compassion, right? Empathy. I, I believe these are, this is really what we need to solve this issue. I think when people develop compassion, for everyone around us, for those who experience homelessness, then you're going to go up to them and say, hey, are you okay? What can I do for you? Do you need help? I think that's how we're going to ultimately get there. Because again, the issue may not be money for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, you or it may, because, you know, again, you can give them all the money you want, but if you don't get to the root of it, they can always spend it. And the next day, they don't have money again. If they have, say, a gambling problem, and that's why they're in the streets, by giving them hundreds and hundreds of dollars, you're actually not helping them at all because they're just going to go to the casino and spend it all, right? In yeah. Time, or in an hour. <laughs> or if they have a drug problem, they're just going to go buy all the meth they, they want, and next day they're back to square one. Mm -hmm. so, so money is not the issue, right, in this case. And even having a home may not be the issue. 
So really, I think it comes down to let's drop our assumptions. <laughs> let's drop all the all the prejudices we have against them and just have a heart to heart and just talk to them. That's yeah. my recommendation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Going back to you personally, zoom in again, you had a very deep meditation. You got some divine inspiration and then you chose to follow it. The way you articulated was, oh, I got an idea. And the next day I started a, a whole business about it. You made it sound so simple. Most people grapple with that divine revelation or inspiration, whatever you call it, a deep insight. Because on the surface, at that point, you were a game studio executive. You made games and it's a non sequitur. It's a total offshoot of from developing games to homelessness, to selling shoes. So <laughs> one might assume and speculate that there is some kind of internal grappling there. If there are, if there were, could you underline that a bit? Because you, the way I'm receiving it right now is that was a very simple transition. I got an insight and the next day, Breath of Shoes was born. It's not like that. <laughs> I think that's one of those myths of entrepreneurs or people who've made it. They just think somehow everyone is this overnight success, but people don't realize there's like at least 10 years of hard work that came before it. <laughs> A lot of thinking, meditation, maybe marinating in the ideas. I, I did, the story was simple. Again, I was, if you just want to have a bullet point, it looks like that. But between each bullet points, there's probably 10,000 steps. <laughs> good, good. To begin to go into the nuance of it. So that way people, and I want to use your story as an illustration of people who are reinventing themselves right now. COVID, economy, whatever, relationships, divorce, you know, all these things are, people's lives are shifting very rapidly due to this forcing function. So they're going through this identity shift. They're going through this business shift. They're going through this uh, responsibility shift quite a lot. So if you can underline the grappling that you had to do going from game studio to e-commerce selling shoes for and helping homeless people, that would be very helpful for these people who are also grappling with this issue right now. Sure. And you know, what's in, it's interesting. You mentioned identity, right? And that's actually, I was going through I would say almost like identity crisis <laughs> at that mm -hmm. moment, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. I was actually at the time winding down my game studio. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I had the studio for 17 years and I had amazing partners. I had amazing team that I worked with. We had huge successes. We worked on some very notable games and titles and we had a great time. But at the same time, also we went through uh, some major challenges and you know, other multiple times that we were so close to going out of business. And, and again, you look at everything, you realize, oh, it's all just a journey. And it's actually a journey within. It's a journey about you, about self-discovery, about figuring out who you are. You know, what's your magic? What's your power? What, what's your vulnerability? And how do you face your fears? What are your fears? These things will all manifest themselves through a business, through whatever, you know, you do. And I would say how Breton came or the, or the timing around that, it was really when I was going through another transition in my life, and I will actually even call it a metamorphosis, 
or actually at that period, I went through multiple metamorphoses. <laughs> it wasn't just one, because every time I thought, oh, wow, I'm done. Okay, I learned these things. I leveled up. I'm good. And then I got pulled into another one. <laughs> it just yeah. every time I thought, okay, I know who I am now. I remember will say, do you really know who you are? Yeah. And then <laughs> I will ask myself again. And, uh, yeah. and that's when really I was, I, I didn't realize it at the time, or this was late 2016 or, or, or 2017, I would say, that I had defined myself by this role I played by this, because I was this gaming executive, this CEO, um, always working on really cool cutting edge projects and different working with really cool partners. So I always had cool things going on in my life. And, and I guess now looking back, they were all external. <laughs> and so every time I would sit down with a friend or a new business associate, when they, whenever they will ask me, Hey, Tim, what are you working on? I'd say, Oh yeah, I'm working on this and this and working with these people. And, and it was just always great stories to tell. And I got used to that and that became I, my identity. Mm. But as we were winding down the gaming studio, suddenly I wasn't working on, on anything anymore. Suddenly I didn't have cool projects anymore. Suddenly I wasn't working with cool partners and suddenly I didn't know who I was anymore. Especially when I sat down with people, when they asked me, Hey Tian, like what's new, what you've been working on. And I remember there was a period of my life, like a couple months or so, I would try to avoid that question. I would get embarrassed because I, I don't know. I wasn't working on anything. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> and that was very uncomfortable for me because that was so new. I never had that. I never experienced that in my entire life. Because <laughs> I, I had founded, co-founded the gaming studio when I was 24 years old, right? It was just shortly after college. After college, I, I got involved in five you know tech startups. I did music for a while. So I was just always doing cool things. And then this game studio came about again. It was through this very powerful, I would say a divine calling, <laughs> which I didn't realize at the time. It got me on this beautiful journey. But yeah, back in 2017, I, I was really asking myself, who am I? What am I doing right now? It was until one day through a dear friend of mine who was going through something similar. And, and I, re I realized he was a little ashamed. He was ashamed of what he was going through, even though from my perspective, wow, this man was going through something so beautiful and profound and it showed character that to him, he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to, he shared it with me. But then I was like, brother, what are you doing? Can I tell your story to others? Let me tell them through my lens. And he trusted me. He's like, yeah, sure, Ken, you, you, you say whatever you want. And when I told that story, I just saw how his body just relaxed and he just felt this ease and this is, oh my God, I'm actually pretty incredible. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you are. But what's interesting was in telling his story, I realized I was going through the exact same thing. Mm. He was my mirror image and I was going through that. Yeah. I was also like, I didn't know how to tell my story, but I had no problem telling his story. But as soon as I finished his story, I realized I could now tell my story. And what's amazing was literally after that happened, the next day I met this new person, a new friend, and, and she asked me, Tian, what are you working on? And without a pause, without any hesitation, the words that came, came out of my mouth were, I'm working on myself. 
Mm. That's it. And like, mm. I just, it just came out fluidly. Yeah, I'm working on myself right now. I'm working on mm. the most amazing and beautiful project that I know. <laughs> I like that. Let me actually underline something real quick. Yes. This is a, there's certain, uh, for, for the high performers, for the entrepreneurs, for the founders, they've been busy all their life. They've been chasing after goal after goal. However, there's always a reset in certain, in, in life, whether it be, Hey, my kids are going away for college or I got a divorce or, Hey, I just sold my business. The, now the fundamental identity of oneself gets to shift. And, and in that process, you can call this phase, you know, I mean, like crises, trough of disillusionment, dark night of the soul, or belly of the whale, whatever ways you articulate it. This is well, why not a golden nugget <laughs> or something positive or a golden nugget, right? But, but, but the, I think the reason why they don't call it a golden nugget yet, because it does require some kind of grieving, right? Hey, my past identity is no longer. Yes. And now I get to in this unknown space between point A to point B and now I'm just exploring. Right. So the fact that you get to tell other people's story through your lens and, and thus giving yourself uh, permission to also be in that exploratory process. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. I, and that's one of the reasons why on this podcast, we go into those transitional moments such that people and say, oh, Tian is going through this. CK has gone through this multiple times, especially as entrepreneur, as we know, ups and downs all around all the time. So it's totally normal. I'm, there, there's nothing wrong with me going through this. this. This is not weird. This is totally normal. And, and actually there's something beautiful on the other side of this cocoon, on the other side of this corner, on the other side of this barrier. What would you say to that? I say yes. <laughs> I say yes, feel it all the way. It is painful when you go through it and you ask, why me? What's going on? What, what happened? This thing used to give me so much joy and excitement. Now I don't feel anything, right? Or is there something wrong with me? Why, why don't I, uh, I'm making all this money or getting all these, this recognition and why don't I feel happy or fulfilled or why don't I want to get out of bed? Cause yeah. That's what happens. The only reason we're here is to figure out who we are <laughs> and yeah. to just to grow and to explore. Once you're so good at something, then what's the fun in that? Right now yeah. it's time to say, okay, you're so comfortable now. Okay. Let's give you a different scenario, different, you know, environment. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's time for you to level up. As we say in video games, <laughs> it's yeah. time to yeah. learn some new skills and break out of your norm. And that's really the, the process. Yeah. So I love that coming from a game designer. It really is true from my perspective. Life is an adventure. It, it is a game and through all the ups and all the downs, everything really is beautiful. I may not necessarily find it pleasant in the trough of disillusionment, right? The belly of the whale or whatever. But at the same time, I also now a little bit older have the full appreciation of the full journey, right? There is no, Hey, Let's all go to just the, the top of the roller coaster. But in order to get to the top, you got to go to the bottom and come up again. So that's the full flavor, the full spectrum of life. Yeah. But also you realize this is, everything is completely subjective and actually anything that happens to you externally, it's completely neutral. 
only you assign certain meaning or definition to that. Just using your analogy of this roller coaster ride, some people love it when they're at the top, some people love it when they're at the bottom, some people love it when they're doing loops, and some people may hate it, hate every bit of, bit of those. You know? <laughs> so there is really no objective like saying, oh yeah, being on top, that's best, being on the bottom, mm -hmm. that's horrible. For some people, like, I love being on the bottom. <laughs> you just n never know. But also I realized, I think another thing I forgot to mention was really when you go through these things, what you're really going through is your ego death time and time again. It's really, it's not you who's saying, oh, this is pleasant. This is horrible. It's really your ego making those, you know, judgments saying, oh, I, I like this. Oh, no, no, I don't like that. But this is me. Oh, no, no, that's not me. Oh yeah, that shirt, that shirt is so me. <laughs> that's my color. <laughs> or this experience, that's my experience. I love it. And this is not my kind of thing. That's all your ego talk talking, right? If you can pull yourself out of that and just start observing it, observing your ego, observing that noise, that chatter that's defining you and, and ask yourself, go, is that really me? Is this really, is this thing really not my thing? Do I really not love playing tennis? I've only played that once or twice. How do I know I don't love it? <laughs> How do I know I'm not good at it? Just because I played once or twice. <laughs> Could you say more about the phrase ego death? Because in my mind, this is different interpretation of that phrase, right? When I hear ego death, I hear kill the ego, like basically ego is bad altogether. So that's what my interpretation of what that phrase is. But for me, it's two sides of the same coin. I can't just have pure spirit and no ego. Ego is an expression of who I am in this material realm. So in my mind, it's actually being in harmony of both. So I'm curious to know how, when you use the, the phrase ego dead, what does that mean for you? Okay. Again, ego is neither good nor bad. It just is right. Mm -hmm. And actually we need it in mm -hmm. this, in this human body without it, you wouldn't even eat. You wouldn't care to do anything. Mm -hmm. So because of ego, that's what keeps you safe. Go, okay. I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't go, uh, poke that tiger <laughs> or, mm -hmm. oh, I'm hungry. I should go eat something mm -hmm. because your ego wants to preserve your body for your aliveness, as I say, mm -hmm. but ego death really means when you become so attached to a certain identity, because okay, I became so attached to uh, this gaming CEO, that's me for so long. That's how I started to define myself, or that's how I define myself. Then when you have an ego death means, okay, take off that layer, realize that's actually not who you are. That's just a piece of clothing you're wearing. Mm -hmm. You can take that off anytime you want. You can put on a different one or you can just be naked if, if that's what you choose. So right. by the way, I want to underline that metaphor, what you just use okay. for metaphor. Think of it yourself, all of your identities, all of your constructs, all of the beliefs that you have as coats that you wear, you can take it off and when the coat no longer serve you. The yeah. purpose maybe you want it to be warm maybe you want it to be fashionable right yes. there is situational so you can bring out those identities but when those identities are becoming too limiting and start to bring you suffering and pain then guess what you have outgrown that coat you can easily let that's, let it go that's exactly right you have this beautiful fur coat i, I just can't think of something else thicker <laughs> i know maybe we'll have some vegetarian or vegan friends here but it's it's a uh, fake fur Okay, yeah, perfect. 
full yeah. fair, fur, fur coat, right? Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. wear that in Siberia. Great, yeah. it serves yeah. you. But yeah. if you wear that in Hawaii <laughs> in yeah. summer, I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't serve you. Take that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, it's situational. And also, those situations really come. It's like seasons in with you know our planet. Our life, we go through seasons as well. You can't always be in spring. You can't always be in summer. You go through seasons. And as you go through different seasons, each season, you're going to learn different things. You're going to detach. You're going to shed different things and identities and you know, let go of certain things. And just, again, my rule is just do what serves me until it no longer serves me. <laughs> so let's zoom back in into that, those transition moments from gaming CEO to possibly following this divine inspiration that you have to start this e-commerce shoe shop. What did you do to take up that coat of the gaming CEO and try on this new idea, new possibility to start an e-commerce shoe platform? What did I do? I just did it. Again, what, when this the idea hit me, it, it was very exciting. I realized one thing that's part of my magic is I'm really good uh, forming ventures, start something, build a really good foundation, like getting the resources whether it's getting the right team together, getting the you know, money, getting partners, getting something off the ground, really, really good at that. Yeah, and I think it's part of my, I would say, energetic signature of you know who I am, of my beingness. If I'm passionate about something, I become the best salesman of that. Because mm -hmm. I just, again, I'm not, it just, when I believe in something wholeheartedly, I can just speak to it. And then I bring my energy. And, and if you're in that field, you're going to go, that sounds great. This is like the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I just, that's kind of part of my magic. So it just, when this came to me, I started writing down all the ideas and, and things that were just fun about this. And then I started talking to my friends about it. And next thing I know, a lot of my friends start jumping in and, hey, Tian, I want to invest. I want to invest. I even met this uh, one guy, he was a stranger. He's now a dear friend and brother. Literally, we met, he asked about my story. I told him about Brethren briefly. This was still like very early stages. I just wrote this down and right there and then he looked at me in the eye and he says, okay, I'm in. And I said, wait, what do you mean you're in? He's like, well, I, I want to be part of that. I want to invest. It's like, well, but you don't even know me. We just met. <laughs> this is our second or third meal together. And, and I'm not here pitching you. He's like, I know you're not pitching, but I see the magic in this. I want to be part of this. <laughs> so I said, okay. So again, I feel like once you're on your path, you follow that excitement, you follow your passion, the whole world moves for you. All mm. the right people, the resources, everything will just show up. And also all the synchronicities. Again, one big piece of this puzzle is that my queen, her family business is actually in the men's shoes business. They've been making men's shoes for the past 30 years. So again, it's just, if I didn't have that piece, this wouldn't have come together the way it did, you know? So again, it just, everything just there, everything is interconnected. And if you're paying attention and if you, again, you follow your heart, you follow your passion, you follow your excitement, and you're paying attention, all the pieces, they're there, they're in front of you. It just, it's up to you to put them together, to make all the connections. Let me question that perspective a okay. little bit. Okay. So just a little context of why. Okay. So there are two schools of thought. One is, Hey, follow your bliss and passion and, and, and magic will, will follow things will become easy, uh, effortless for you. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And if it's not effortless, chances are you're in the wrong path. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought is, it's like gardening or cultivating a field. It takes however long it takes. You put in the time, and and the fruit will come in time. But it's like pulling the thread of curiosity to interest to passion to love to purpose, and magic happens. So. Different school of thought. I'm just curious. What What do you think about these different schools of thought? I think it all comes down to what is meant for you, and also in what state, at what stage of your life. Also, even those, the so-called the two schools of thoughts. I agree with parts of each school. Like, yes, things happen, but they may happen effortlessly at times, and then other times things may not happen effortlessly. <laughs> That doesn't mean. You're you shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're not on the right path anymore. It just may mean you're that moment you need to fix something else. It may not be the overall thing. Maybe there's something else, smaller, granular, something that you're blocking yourself from. Or maybe yeah, maybe just yeah, you're meant to go this way. Say you're meant to go this direction. But then even on this one path, there are many doors and many like valleys and 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 bridges and the crowd you you pick and maybe certain path is better than another. you're still on your path. It's just even on your path, many many options, or maybe there are certain obstacles. And so anyway, again, even on a higher level, the way you present this issue to me, again, I I think this is one. I don't know if it's necessarily a problem,、um, but it's it's definitely something very. Specific to our 3D world, which is separation, which is this divide. It's like it's is it this or that, is it black or white, right? Why can't it be gray the whole time, or why can't it be red? Like, yeah, yeah. Who says it's just option A or, or B? What the theme of what we're talking about here is essentially soul market fit. How do I know this is the the path for me to take on? And there's. As we know, ups and downs, circumstantial difference. How I feel about it is different. How my you know, significant other feels about it. Maybe I have new responsibilities. You know, things are changing all the time in a world that's changing. So, what I wanted, what I'm interested in, is if you have a way to think about or concretize the soul market fit, because. Oftentimes, when we do this thing, we may have that initial spark. When we do it, we encounter some obstacle, or we may have an initial spark, and it's like, oh, it's so easy. I want to give our listeners some tools for them to navigate this space, you know, in so that they can find their soul market fit, as you have. Ooh, again, I can only tell my story, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm sure everyone has a different story, right? And even for me, I. I Guarantee you, the story changes, right?、Mm-hmm. Like it, it may be this today, but who knows what's it going to be a year from now, ten years from now? What other new path that I will have discovered? So I definitely don't want to just corner myself and say there's this and this is the only way. But I'm again like coming back to, back to me. I just know for me, I trust in the saying, "Follow your heart." Now here's the thing: is it sounds like a cliche, but Probably most people don't know what that means. Yes, you know, most, most, people, most people probably don't know the difference between following your heart and following your mind.、Mm-hmm. If you think of something and you're like, "Oh, I think this is the right thing to do," then let me go do it. That that's to me, that's not your heart that you're following. That's、mm-hmm. you following your logical mind. And where did that information come from? Maybe it came from your parents, from your peers, from society, from your boss. 
and they don't know. They don't know what's best for you. The truth is most people don't even know what's best for them. So if you don't even know, how would anyone else in the world know? They can only give you what they know given their experience, what they went through. <laughs> but again, that's theirs. You can only use that as a reference and then say, okay, does this resonate with me? Does this feel good? Does it feel right? Because I believe we're all born, every single one of us is born with a compass, this compass that tells you what your true path is. And what is that compass is simply our feelings. And that's the thing I think most people are ignoring, especially in our modern society. People are taught to just think, use your mind, use logic, use data, use facts. Sure, use them. They're tools. There's nothing wrong with them. But the thing you're ignoring, the most important thing I feel for a human being is really that you drop down into your heart center and follow your heart, follow your emotion. Because there are moments where you're like, yeah, logically, this is the right thing to do. I should take that job. I should go there. By every standard, that should be the thing. But for some strange reason, it just doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And you don't know why it doesn't feel good. You wake up in the morning, you're just like, I don't want to go to this freaking job. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Even though it's paying me $200,000 a year and I have this, because of it, I can afford this car, this house, whatever. But I hate it. I don't know why. Follow that feeling. That is your true north. Again, one story I love is the founder of, oh my goodness, how am I blanking out the name? What's that camera you wear on your, when you go like snowboarding? Hero, uh, Halo, something. Oh, something. no, not even that one. No, it's the one spinner on, it's the first one, the original one. Like you surfers wore it. Like Yeah, the, yeah, I know. I, tip of my geez, tongue. Why, why am I forgetting the name? <laughs> Just when I need to tell the story. <laughs> um Oh my goodness, that's, that's okay. Then I don't know if I can tell the story. GoPro, GoPro, GoPro. GoPro, thank you. Yeah, yes, yeah. there is GoPro. So again, the founder, or at least the story that I heard, if I remember correctly, the founder of GoPro, he didn't set out to make cameras. That wasn't his goal. He just loved surfing. He loved extreme sports. I think he loved like skiing or snowboarding, but there wasn't a camera on the market that would capture those moments, those amazing moments where you do a jump or catch a beautiful surf. So then he just went to Radio Shack and he got all the parts himself, put together this camera, taped it to this hat that he was wearing or something. He made it waterproof. And then he was able to, to serve and with this camera could record all this stuff. And then all his peers saw that, like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Where can I get one? So they all started asking him to build one for them. And then it turned into a business, right? So the thing is, the moral of this story is he followed his heart in that he loved uh, surfing. He loved maybe snow, uh, snowboarding or skiing. He loved doing those things. And he just did those things all the time. And then he goes, you know, I wish I had a camera that I could record this. And then he said, okay, then let me go build one. He just followed his heart and then it turned into a business. But the thing is when he first started learning to surf, I'm sure the end goal wasn't, oh, I'm surfing today because I know one day I'm going to build a billion dollar company because of this. He had no idea. And no, none of us really had that kind of the kind of vision to see that. And fortunately we don't, otherwise this game is no fun anymore. <laughs> if you know exactly where you're going. Let me put a, an end point on what the point I just made and I actually go into the visioneering part. So don't let me forget to ask you about visioneering. So this space, what, what Tiana is talking about, here's my interpretation and how I articulate it to my students, my clients, to people who are listening to this. It's kind of put your physiology in a place where it's satisfied. So you're not hungry, you're not irritable. And then, so that way that physiology part is quiet. 
and then listen to that quietness. Because let's say if I chase whatever opportunities, celebrities, things that I want, it's kind of like eating junk food, right? Get a, a spike in whatever it is I'm going after, the egoic desire. At the same time, for me, following my heart means whatever I do, my mind is quiet. There's no noise about, oh, what about this? And what about that? There's no neurotic thoughts. So that's what I want on the line there. I, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that. Here's the thing. I, I remember, so when I first founded Make It Sky Entertainment, right, my, my gaming studio, at the time I had, at one point when I first started, I had five part-time jobs. I, I didn't go to my family for money. I said, hey, because I actually wanted to see if I could make it on my own to mm -hmm. build this with my own hands. I worked at J Crew as a, a salesperson. I, I worked at this uh, language school where I taught Chinese. Mm -hmm. I worked um, at movie studios as an extra, <laughs> right? I wow. worked at Narcotics Anonymous. I translated the material into Chinese because they were, you know, expanding into China at the time. I did all these things and my days were, oh my goodness, in the beginning, you know, I would get up in the morning, I put on my suit, I go pitch investors, and then I come home, grab a quick bite. I run to J Crew, and I work there for four hours. So like say one to 5 p.m. I come home, I grab wardrobe, I drive down to Sony lot or Universal lot or, or whatever. And then I work there from 7.30 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. I get to eat food there. They, they provide there's craft services, right? So you have dinner, you have breakfast. I come home, I sleep for maybe a couple hours and I get, get up and do this again. And that's how, how I did it the first like year and a half when I first found the company. I was hungry, <laughs> right? And I think that was a good thing that I yeah. was hungry. It drove me. So I guess in a, in a sense, I feel like you can be physically not in a very comfortable place but you can still mentally be oh, I see what you mean. quiet. Because you mentioned being quiet, you need to be physically comfortable. And that's the part I disagree with. I, uh, I see. So you agree with the, the quiet space, but not necessarily put yourself in a place where you're not necessarily irritable or hungry. That, that's the part. Okay, got right. it. Right. So for, for me, I get hangry easily. <laughs> Gotcha. It's a very primal thing, and, and I make bad decisions when I'm hungry. I, I, I'm not kind with people. I'm not yeah. kind with myself. Maybe I should have said that first. So for those of you who get hangry, <laughs> it was an obvious triggering <laughs> point for you. Make sure you are in a place where you the physical machinery is operating at an optimal level. Yeah, yes, that, that I agree. I, I, I get hangry at times too, actually. <laughs> but but it's really bizarre I, I get hangry because every few months, or actually every three months, every quarter, I do at least a three-day to a, you know, a week-long water fast. And that's how I reset my system. I do that you know, periodically. And I have no problem. It's just like during the whole three days or whole week, I just drink water. But I'm very calm. I still do yoga. I do everything that I do. My mood is great. So I go, wait, I can not eat for a week <laughs> and not get irritable or angry. Why is it that certain days where I'm like, oh, I need my dinner now? <laughs> so again, that makes me go, is this truly physiology or is this, again, my ego is playing a trick on me? <laughs> so you do it for a physiology reason or you do it for a spiritual reason? physiology of everything that's connected because I, I know when you for even just 24 hours if you don't eat you reset your system 
mm. body. Like it just boosts your immune system. And that's why I do it. It just, you can literally kill off like cancer cells in your body. If you just don't eat, you just drink water. Now I'm no doctor. So if you have diseases, consult your doctor first, obviously. But there is actually a, a hospital in Russia where people with people in stage four cancers, they go there literally for two weeks a month mm. and they have doctors on site. They monitor everyone and they're only on a water fast for the entire time. And then people literally leave that place cancer free. It's insane. I've seen cases, but again, mm. they may not apply to everybody. Are there books or apps that you recommend if people are listening or is interested in doing a little bit of fasting experiment on themselves? I've never read any books uh, on this stuff. I listen to various podcasts and have a lot of friends in this health and wellness uh, uh, world and I talk to them. So I just, I'm, I'm a sponge. I just absorb info and knowledge from everywhere mm -hmm. and I apply to myself. Again, take what works for you. Just because something works for me doesn't mean it will work for you. Listen to your body. Mm -hmm. We're all built differently. Okay. I also ask self-servingly because I'm interested in, in doing some fasting myself. I've never, I've done maybe a few 48 hour ones and uh, none of them were pleasant, uh, which is perhaps the reason why I like it because I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm leaning to my discomfort. So part of the whole noble warrior ethos is leaning to your discomfort continuously because in my leaning to one's discomfort ultimately is how you earn resilience system resilience because the more if it, re, resilience is not gifted to <laughs> to to an individual it's going through challenges over and over again in a very design or a very intentional way then just a hard workout just doing hape or, or a sauna or a cold bath or going through separations or the reset of your business. And over time, then you're like, oh, okay, this is not so bad. I can actually handle it. As you articulate earlier about the whole Winhof experience, right? In the beginning was very intense, but now since you've done it so many times, you don't get that intense of a reaction after that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But also, I think you have to know why you're doing it. You got to have that set intention. Without intention, there's no point. Don't starve yourself just because, <laughs> right? You have to know why you're doing it. For me, my intentions are very clear. Okay, I'm going to reset my system because in the last, say, three months, I've built up toxicity in my body because I know oh, I ate too much ice cream <laughs> or drank one too many glasses of uh, scotch. <laughs> so I need to now reset my system then do it. And when you do it and it sounds, you know, why you're doing it, there's this goal, like for me, at least, you know, I, I believe that's the case with most entrepreneurs, right. Or type of personality. We like hitting goals. You set a goal. You're like, yeah, that's, I'm going to ace that. I'm, I'm going to get there. And as long as you have that insight, then I can overcome it with whatever. But if I don't have a goal, then suddenly I I'm doing it just because then I can very quickly go, okay, I don't see the point. I'm not going to bother with it. So when you fast, what are your metrics? What, what are your goals? Is it how you feel? Is it blood work? Is it how clear a mind is? Just I say, okay, I just know this is good for me. This is one I, and also I listen to my body. Like typically before I fast, literally I get this little inner voice, it's a very quiet voice says, okay, it's time, time to fast. Stop mm -hmm. eating. You know, I mean, literally like I listen for that little voice. And when my body tells me, that's when I go, okay, I'm going to fast for the next however long. Or, and also that's how I eat too. My body will tell me, okay, today I want meat. So then have some meat. 
or certain days, my body will say, hey, no, I only want veggies. So then I'll just eat veggies. I don't really have set rules. It's not okay. I need to do this. I just follow my body. Mm -hmm. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate no, it. You're, you're welcome. But to be honest, I think day two usually is the hardest day on the water fast. That's always been my experience. After you get through day two, day three, suddenly day three, they, they become super easy. Okay. <laughs> so I, think, uh, I, think, I feel like you probably stop if you can get through day two, because that's the day where you're just like really hungry. Right. Yeah. Headaches, low yeah, energy. Well, so, so when you, when you, yeah, headache, that's a really good thing. When you get headaches, because you're starting uh, off your candida. Mm -hmm. Candida, that's the bad stuff in your gut. You want, because a lot of times the stuff you want to eat, you crave, you're not craving it. It's the candidas in your guts, they're craving it. They want to eat all the sugar, all the gluten, <laughs> all that stuff, because that's what feeds them. So then they may trick you into thinking, oh, I want ice cream. Oh, I want sugar. No, you don't want that stuff. Your candidas, they do. So when you start literally on day two, day three, they're dying off like crazy. And when you're starving off your diet candidas, that's one side effect is you, you get headaches. You're like, oh my God, what's going on? I feel dizzy. And that's when you just keep hydrating yourself, hydrate yourself. Mm -hmm. And then by day three, you suddenly feel like, whoa, I got my energy back. I can think clearly. I don't have that headache anymore. And I can mm -hmm. you know, do 50 push-ups again. So it's not a problem. So yeah, I challenge you, CK Lin, <laughs> to right. three-day water fast. Noble Warrior podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Life. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I challenge myself physiologically on almost every front, whether it be getting to a ring, you know, for boxing or uh, do communication, you know, things as a way to stretch my comfort zone or doing ayahuasca ceremonies because I wanted to really get to the truth of who I am. But one thing that I actually haven't really dived into is fasting. Hmm. Yeah, there's some kind of resistance that I have about fasting that I just like, nope, doesn't feel good. Don't want to do it. So well, then don't do it. Just, you know, like ayahuasca, you do it when you're called to do it. Hmm. You don't just go do it when you're like, no, no, I can't. No, there's, Somehow it's when it's calling you and your body goes, surrender says, yes, I think it's time Then do it. Same thing with fasting. Just listen to your body, right? Your body says, okay, I think now I'm ready to fast Then fast. I never force myself to fast. I don't believe in forcing yourself to do anything. I don't believe that serves you in any way or shape or form, you know, possibly. Yeah. I, yeah. I just think, you know, do it because yeah because this is what I think will serve my highest good right now. And I want to, then do it. Yeah. So on that note, it's a great place to actually segue to that topic, that very topic. So I would say to the younger CKs listening, you may be thinking like, oh man, these guys are not so tough. I want to just like tough the, out through whatever challenges I want to, whatever is the most painful, let me go into it. So I say, yeah, you, you, you could do that. Feel free to do that. At the same time, uh, for my mental model here is our intrinsic motivation is like fuel. It's quite limited per day. If you exhaust all of your motivation to do something that you actually ultimately don't like to do, the longevity of this thing, this habit that you want to cultivate is ultimately going to be short-lived. I'm speaking to CK. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So my current way of thinking about it is again, pull the thread of whatever it is I want to do, what could I find that's enjoyable in it? 
And if I truly find nothing enjoy about this thing, uh, then I don't do it. Great example for me is running. I'm one of those guys that just don't find euphoria during runs. Like I, people that I find are just like, they get runners high, that I think those people are crazy. I just, I don't find running whatsoever. Okay. However, the payoff of running is the emotional or spiritual or mental purging that I get from running. So afterwards, whatever neurotic or nervous energy or anxiety that I have previous to running, it gets burned off easily without the meditation or whatever it is. So that's the payoff. So that's why I run every day as a result of that. Love to hear your thoughts on that in terms of what I just said. I, I don't actually have any additional thoughts <laughs> on this. I, again, I think for some people, it's the process, right? If they find something really fun in the process, then go for it. For others, it's the end goal. It's why you're doing this. If it gets you there, even if you're not enjoying the process, you do it anyways. But again, just speaking to where I am in my life this moment, I'm a believer that if I choose to do something, I'm going to one fully accept this. Okay. I'm going to do this. So I'm going to accept this. And once I fully accepted this, there's no longer resistance to it. Meaning I won't find this thing unpleasant anymore because I've surrendered to this experience. I've accepted this experience. And when that happens, then I think then it becomes a pleasant you know, experience. No, I'm going to give you a loving challenge there. Conceptually, ideally, yes, 100%. However, such as life, such as life's challenges, like any worthy endeavor, there will be times where really we're testing our capacity, like being an entrepreneur, right? It's not fun to deal with tax issues or people suing you or employee issues or drama and politics within your organization. As an example, things don't need to be there. Just so for example, everything you mentioned, I never experienced them in my entire 20 year career. Really? Uh, my, yeah. No lawsuits, no politics, none of that stuff. I just, I built a company where those things just don't exist. Okay. Let's hold off. Yeah. yeah. That's totally Let's hold off of how you tactically do that. But, but the, the point I was making, let's say maybe relationship with your spouse or with your kids it's ego on ego so inevitably they're bound to be disagreement or friction or, or things like that so it's not so pleasant to to deal with per se and that's what i was pointing to about how you can maintain a really high context in spite of maybe some friction or disagreement I lost my train of thought as we we're speaking. Maybe we can talk about the, the business building part. You said you never experienced anything like that. You set your company up such a way that you don't experience any kind of friction or, or, or lack of flow. Not, not friction. When you have partners, when you work with others, there's always friction, there's disagreements, and that's actually natural, but, okay. you, but you work it out. You sit down with them, you be transparent. Yeah. And that's one thing I learned through my journey again. I share this with you personally. I had my spiritual awakening 11 years ago, and that really shifted everything for me. It changed the way I run my business because I used to run my business in a very opaque. I make all the decisions with my partners 
behind behind a closed door. We we never shared information with our team. We or or negative information, right? Things that would or could scare people away. Like we didn't share how big our bank account was at the time, the challenges we were going through. We didn't share those things with our employees. We only told them the good news, right? That was the old way of running. And then after my spiritual awakening, I realized, no, it's all about transparency. It's about sharing everything with them and trusting everyone that, look, I'm giving you this information and you will make the best decision from which instead of me shielding something from you, thinking, oh, I'm doing this to protect you from this. How do I know I'm protecting you from it? How do I know this is this information isn't going to empower you? And maybe, again, maybe you're not meant to be here anymore, right? Maybe your time is up. Maybe you're better at a different company, both for you and for us. But if I didn't know that and I'm trying to hold on to you and I'm hiding information from you, <laughs> that's ultimately always going to you know, bring the house down. So then I just became, okay, now let's just be transparent. Let's tell people, this is how much we're having our bank right now. This is our situation. This is, these are the you know, companies I'm talking to right now. These are the potentials. But at the same time, our runway is only this long, right? W- what are we going to do as a team? But also as a leader, my partner and I, we're always the first to cut our salaries. Every time we see, oh my goodness, okay, the runway is running short. We're, okay, first give ourselves pay cuts, and then we just stop paying ourselves completely. And then we go to the next tier, you know, the, the senior team and say, hey, can we ask you guys to take a pay cut or take some unfurl or something? And then that's how we, that's also because my team saw that we never asked them to say, hey, sorry, I can't pay you this month or next month, but I'm paying myself. <laughs> I think if you're doing that, you're going to lose everybody. You got to lead with example. You got to be the first one. Like when the team, when your team sees that, oh, wow, these guys, they really believe in it. They, they sacrifice for us. Then they're going to do the same. And also just, I never tolerated politics. It just, there's no need for that. I feel that there's, you know, when people playing politics, then they're not being productive at all. Their emotions are going towards this, this very negative place. Uh-uh. No, I, I nip it in the butt. I just, that's something I sit down with my whole team. I'm like, nope, no politics here. If you have any issues with anyone, you just, you say it, right? You come to me, you talk to me, we figure it out. And then also you just always do the right thing, at least for me with my gaming studio, you know, for 17 years, we never got involved in any lawsuits. No one ever sued us, no past employees or partners, anything. I think for us, we always did the right thing. We never cheated anyone. We never. So maybe it's naive for me to say, if you just do good, then good things come to you. So if you don't ever do anything shady, then you're not going to get sued. But I also do know some people did get sued even though you know, they were doing the right things. And it just, if you have shady people, then they'll find ways to screw you. So again, I, I don't know how to <laughs> speak to that. Maybe it just, we got lucky. And I feel definitely very fortunate. Yeah. There's many angles that we can talk about this. We can talk about it from outside in point of view or inside out point of view. Mm-hmm. I think most entrepreneurs, they, they think about the market condition, you know, human nature, right? The outside in point of view. From my point of view, it's very much an inside out approach, meaning yeah. what are my core values? What is my purpose? What do I think? What's my operating system? What are my principles of what's uh, workable? I'm not going to even use morality because it's not so relevant, but what's workable in this situation? What's workable for CK? And then integrity means from honor my word. And from that place, whatever I do, that's outside of my control. But 
at least I'm operating from within my own sovereignty, my sovereign self, from my own code of honor, moving outwards that way. I am with you in that. Again, here's the thing: you can control external, you know, factors, right? But hopefully, you can control how you react to them, how you respond, or not even react, but respond. Mm -hmm. But even if I take it one layer down to really my core belief is that my external um, circumstances, situations, environment is a reflection of my inner being, right? Like everything I see, everything that's happening to me and for me is a reflection, is a mirror of what's going on inside of me this moment. So in a way, I'm creating these situations. So it really comes down to I'm just taking full responsibility of my life at every given moment, right? There's no victim in my life unless I choose to become a victim, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Then guess what? All these things, the floodgate will open and all sorts of horrible things will happen, will happen to me. And then mm -hmm. I go, oh, it happened to me. Um, poor me, poor Tian. No, I don't believe in that. I really believe that I co-create and attract everything that shows up in my life and everyone that shows up in my life, including you, including this interview. Mm -hmm. So then living this way, I go, wow, okay, I am in the driver's seat. So now what do I want? So I'm constantly monitoring my emotions, my thoughts. For instance, this morning when I woke up, I felt vulnerable. I felt, I didn't feel very confident. And I knew it has something to do with this interview today. And that's mm. very strange because I've done many interviews, interviews, mm -hmm. talks, and I always felt, oh yeah, I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> I'm gonna bring my A game. I, I know I'm still gonna bring my A game, but somehow this morning, at least for a few hours, I just do feel as confident as normal, as usual. And I just go, okay, why is that? Let me explore that feeling more. Like, why do I feel this way? And, and there, like for a split second, there was this fear. It's like, oh no, what's going to happen if I don't? But then suddenly this other part goes, it's okay. If this is how you feel right now, this is how you feel right now. Bring that. Clearly that's going to serve someone. Show people that you're just human too. You don't have all the answers. There are moments you're going to not feel as confident or you're going to feel vulnerable. And that is absolutely okay. As long as you're being 100% authentic at all times, I think that's going to serve the world. Yeah. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. I need to hear that uh, myself because as a podcast host, my desire is to bring out people's wisdom and, and narratives and tools and frameworks and tactics such that whoever's listening can actually benefit from the gems that we co-create together. But part of it is also for allow myself and give myself permission to say, hey, here's something I can put in or add or a pen or even disagree on certain viewpoints. And that in itself creates what's uniquely yeah, uh, CK, right? Co-creating with CK type of things. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I like yeah. that. Co-creating with CK. Sounds like a new show. <laughs> Co-creating with CK. So, so one of the things I, I do want to talk about is this idea of visioneering, as in creating what's to come. So let, let me contextualize the question before I ask the question here. So in my younger days, I thought, all right, my mind, my body, my heart and spirit, they're all separate. That just they're the silo 
And my mind is a singular mind. When I want to do something, I have a singular idea, right? There is no conflicts within here. But the more I study this, and then you just neurologically speaking, there's many different pockets, there are many different attributes of my mind. So I may have a desire to go and then drink some hot chocolate right now, but I may want to stick around and then have this interview. I may want to go out for a run. There's a lot of different desires from all within my subjective reality. So within that, it's a really messy republic or slash democratic process within one's mind. Yeah. So as you are imagining what's to come in the future, what you want to create next, how do you reconcile this whole messy democracy within your mind as you're creating vision of what's next? Is that, huh. is, that too, is that too? Maybe, but I don't know that I experienced that before. No. So for you is crystal clear. I want to do this one thing, one thing only. There's no internal grappling or challenges or conflicting desires from within you. When I found co-founded the gaming studio, right? It took me months to finally say, okay, I'm doing this because I literally ran out of excuses for not doing it because <laughs> mm-hmm. I had this strong calling this pull this that's that was really the only thing i could think about it was on my mind all the time and i, I literally dreamed about it for five years like almost every night i'm not saying five years before i founded the company i'm just saying from before founding founding company to after and for five years straight i just i almost i dreamed about it almost every night if not every night and and in the beginning a lot of fears right i've never founded it as game studio before i've never founded a company before how do i know how to do this but every time I had this fear, these doubts, this other voice will say, yeah, but you are capable. Yeah, you've done all these other things that you had never done before, but you did them just fine. <laughs> and you're resourceful. You're So I literally run out of excuses, run out of reasons for not doing it. So then I did. And once I make up my mind, I don't look back. And I just mm-hmm. do it. And I just figure out how to make it happen. But that was, that was what, almost 20, 18 years ago now. But with Brethren, it was just... Now, I, when the vision comes, I feel it. I get this excitement in my body. I like, this is all I could think about. I just know, ah, here's another one. Here it comes. I've gone through this once. I know how, okay, I'm supposed to do this, so let's do this. But without any attachment. That's the part that I'm learning, too. It's, yes, you, you're doing this, and you think you're doing it for this reason. It may, may not be the reason that you thought, you know, your, your originally thought. It may, be, it may take you on a whole different path. It may be this whole thing is leads you to meet one person yeah, and then that's mm. it right you have no idea so you just do it like that that night yes and i would say that the way you feel about this is i have not met a lot of people like you don't grapple with their own self-doubt or, or, or inner conversations or inner conflicts so if you can walk us through how you go from 10 years ago to to now this sovereignty, this trust, this faith with your own capability, with the universe, with others and all of that stuff. And where you can just go from, have an idea, check in, good, do it hundred percent. That would be very useful for anyone that's listening to this. I, I won't be able to tell you this in the next 10 minutes or 10 hours, because this okay. is an 11 year journey for me to sure. get to this place. Like where I am, how I feel right now, I am mm. the sum of everything I've learned, everything I've 
integrated, you know, into my beingness. And that's how I'm able to now do what I do. I can't just give you a cheat and say here, because it's not integrated into your body. Even if I gave you the methodology, and even if there was one, <laughs> because again, I don't believe there's only one path, right? There are many different paths, but even when I told you that, it's only gonna work for you on a theoretical level. <laughs> Maybe let me make it a little bit more practical. So I'm okay. not asking, let's use a martial art example, right? You're like black belt, right? Let's say someone listening is white belt. They have a full of self-doubts, full of fears, full yeah. of concerns, full of considerations. And then you are just like one to trust your inner self. Okay, great. So white belt, black belt. I'm not saying to, hey, give us one tip that can make the jump from white belt to black belt. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what may be one practice that, you know, atomic unit of a practice. So using martial arts as an example, hey, perfect your punch that 10,000 times, then we can discuss what else is possible as an example. Gotcha. Okay. I read a lot. It's, it's funny. After college, I stopped reading because after college, I was like, you know what? It's okay that I don't enjoy reading. And so I stopped reading for years until one day, until my spiritual awakening, until then suddenly there was a topic. I wanted to learn everything there is to learn about this. So I just, I haven't stopped reading since. I just, I have so many books. Again, I, I think if there's something you're really interested in, learn all you can about that topic. If it's your business, your industry, whatever it is, learn it, read it, read the books, read other people's blogs, listen to podcast interviews, just absorb as much info as you can get, and then apply what works for you, what resonates with you. And I think that's really one place to start. Just again, going back to the martial arts thing. Right? Nobody is born a black belt. If you really just want black belt, you can just put on a black belt and say, okay, I'm a black belt. You <laughs> <laughs> know, you can do right. <laughs> But really, like to get really good, you just have to practice. You have to throw that punch over and over and over and over. Practice your round kick over and over and over and over until one day it just comes to you naturally. But that takes practice. So, same thing with this. With if you want to become a good, say, coach, you just got to start coaching people, <laughs> right? Reading all the books ain't going to help you. Start coaching people, mm -hmm. right? Like even in the beginning, you don't charge people anything. That's fine. You just say, hey, can I coach you? <laughs> Do you need help? Do you have blocks in your life? Can I help you with, with that? And just that, you just practice. That's definitely one practical way to do it. I can't help. I can't tell someone in a generic way, how do you conquer your fear? Because, you know, like I have to sit down with each person and find out what your fears are and where they came from. Yeah. Right? Then we can figure out, ah, okay, now how do we face your fear? I guess there is one kind of solution is if you have any kind of fear, really feel it, like dive in to that fear and just really feel it. Let it be in like every cell of your body and then, okay, so now this, and then ask yourself, what's the worst that could come of it? Right. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Right. And then once you actually experience that, like mentally, suddenly that fear becomes like a little pussycat. <laughs> Maybe before it was this like giant, scary thing. I think for most entrepreneurs, probably our biggest fear is the fear of failure. I certainly know that was my biggest fear for a long time. It may still be deep down somewhere. I may still have that today. So I'm still working through that. 
you know, but it's okay. So what if you fail? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? And what are you really afraid of? Is it really the failure that you're afraid of? Or is it something else, right? Is it maybe you're afraid of other people will see you differently? Or is it that by failing, you're, it's your self-worth? Just get deep down, find what is it. And I think I guarantee you, once you actually, you're there and you sit with it and have a conversation with it, and then you realize, oh, you're not that scary after all. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that's, I don't know if that's helpful or useful. <laughs> oh, totally useful for sure. Fear baselining or fear reset is one of the reasons why ayahuasca ceremony is something that I'm a fan of as a way to really viscerally feel whatever I'm, I fear and constantly pushing that and experience it as real as it gets without actually physically putting myself in, in danger. So it's very cathartic that way because the mind can differentiate visceral experience to reality anyway. So that way it's a way to help me reset my capability or capacity to this experience more. Yeah. I know that you're a self-realization coach. Can you say more about what, what does that mean for you? It just means I'm here to help people reflect, help people mm -hmm. to really see who they are and, and unleash their true potential to the power, to the magic. Again, it's funny. I, I don't know. I don't know what the best word is calling myself a coach. I've never, like, this is not a profession. I've not made a penny. On this, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I never went out there and say, Hey, can I coach you? And will you pay me mm -hmm. money for it? I've never done that. It just, I've mentored and coached many people. And I, I saw the, the results. I saw what, how things changed for a lot of these people, how their lives completely changed. And it's just something that I get the most fulfillment out of. Even with all the companies I've done, it just, they don't come anywhere near to when I, have a conversation with someone I see in their eyes that, wow, something changed in them, like in a very profound way. And you yeah. can see, wow, they now can accept who they are, or they now realize something they did was actually okay. They're no longer feeling shame or guilt about something and they feel now at peace. That is something I feel nothing beats that feeling for me. Same here. Hence why I'm a executive coach, transformational <laughs> coach, but I'm curious to know if you can say more about the nuance of what's on the other side of this, you know, dark night of the soul, trough of this disillusionment, uh, belly of aware or, or identity crisis, right? Cause we had, we can really get into the dark places of, or the sorrow of being that space. Now we're talking about, Hey, there's possibility on the other side. Can you say a little bit more about whether it's from your personal experience or the people that you have helped? What's possible on the other side? What do they have to look forward to for those that are still in the trough right now? Here's the thing. If you're going through that, know that you're going to come out of it. It's a certainty. <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't get into this in the first place. Right? Mm -hmm. like life doesn't just say, Hey, experience this and you're going to stay in it forever. <laughs> going through some, anything painful, it just mm -hmm. feels like suddenly time slowed down. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. it's going to end. Mm -hmm. Same thing. If you're doing something so fun and pleasant, then you're like, oh my God, why, why is it going so fast? <laughs> Again, it's an illusion. So know that you're going to come, come out the other side always. It just, now it's up to you how long you're going to stay in this. You have to first recognize the lesson. I think 
the problem for most people is that they don't realize this lesson is actually for them, right? A lot of times when people take that victim mentality, something really quote unquote bad happened to them and they just start blaming everyone and everything around them, then guess what? You just missed that opportunity. That lesson, you learn nothing from it if you're blaming someone else. You got to really look at that and go, okay, why and how did I co-create this situation? Why did I attract that person into my life here? So like one thing I think we talked about this last time is we talk about, so I believe we come here, we being you know, uh, our souls you know, incarnate in, in these bodies, right? And we come here for this beautiful human experience, for the explorations, but also for certain lessons that we want to learn, that we want to master. And, and one of them is forgiveness. I know that's a big one for most people. What did you say? Forgiveness? Learn this lesson of forgiveness. So here's the thing is that if your life is smooth and pleasant and everyone around you is super nice to you and, and everything goes smoothly for you, then you have no one and nothing to forgive ever, <laughs> right? Because everyone is super nice to you. So the only way to really work on that, to experience it and to come out the other end is when you meet someone who's going to stab you in the back, who stabs you so hard and twist that knife a couple times and you're in so much pain. And from that, you still forgive that person. That's how you master that lesson. Again, when people go through these different challenges, don't ask why me. Also, you can equally ask why not me. <laughs> but it's it's also, it's okay, what's it in it for me? That's the question you want to ask. Like, why is this really happening? Why is this happening to me and not the guy next to me? Why is this not happening to CK? <laughs> why is this happening to me? Okay, so clearly there's something about me that co-created this. So then why look into that? Yeah, so when you come out of this darkness, this unpleasantness, honestly, what you're gonna feel is this lightness, this peace, and it's incredible. It's incredible. I'll, I'll tell you a personal experience. This was years ago, during one of the times, just we were probably like a month, two months away from just running out of money. We had no projects in sight. I had this amazing team and I, you know, I couldn't, in our industry, we're not like the movie industry where, you know, you come together for a film when the film is done, you disband everybody. And then the next project you bring, you, you can't do that because once you let the talents go, you can't get them back because now they're going to join other studios, right? Like you got to keep them on staff. So I had to do what I had to do to keep everyone. And so we're running out of money, no project inside. And I was just going through this. I couldn't sleep. I was depressed. I was, it's not in a good place. And, and one day I, I went to the gym. I first went to my favorite park. I, I took a nice walk. I was just asking myself, okay, why am I in this situation again? What's really going on? Why am I in this situation again? This is not like the first time I got in this situation. This is not the second time. I think this was the third or the fourth time. It's like, why am I in this situation again? And why are we in this situation? Again, it's, you know, forget about we. I'm not even going to say it's collectively my studio, but like, why am I in this situation again? Why do I feel this way? And, and I thought about this. I thought about this. I thought about this. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get an answer. And then I went to the gym. And a lot of times I realize my great ideas, the best times that my breakthroughs, they happen when I'm working out. <laughs> it just, so I was, I was on the uh, elliptical machine, right? I'm like doing it. I'm still thinking like, what's happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why do I, suddenly I realized, okay, 
I've gone through this a couple times before, two, three times already. Every time something amazing, something magical will happen, like these opportunities will show up. Okay, every time. So I go, why would this time be any different? Why can't I expect this miracle or magic to happen again? So I go, why don't I feel that way right now? And I realize, oh, it's because I'm lacking faith at this moment. I don't believe that this thing will happen. And the funny thing was the moment I realized I lacked faith, that's when faith came into me fully. Like that mm -hmm. moment, I was like, ah. And suddenly, and I can't, again, this is just, it's a feeling, right? Like the moment I realized that, that was the root of the problem, which was that I lacked faith. When I realized that problem, the solution appeared right away. And suddenly, yeah. somehow I gained faith that moment. And when faith came into my body, into my beingness, suddenly I felt so light and I just felt like this burden got lifted off my shoulders. And suddenly I just felt like, oh, don't worry about it. You're taken care of. Your studio is taken care of. Opportunities will come. You have no idea when, but they're, or where they're gonna come from, but they're gonna show up. Just you watch. I had no idea why I felt that way suddenly. I had no proof, no tangible proof that yes, some opportunity is gonna come our way, that we'll be saved, everything's gonna be fine. But I felt it in me. I had suddenly this faith and this belief, and I felt such a lightness in my body. And I remember I just I skipped out of the, <laughs> the gym. I was just so happy. I went to work. I looked at everybody differently. And my partner who was you know, worried and concerned he came to me. And I remember I looked him in the eye, put my hand on the shoulder. I was like, Josh, don't worry. Everything is going to be taken care of. We'll be fine. And when he saw that in me, he saw this ease, this. And I, he says, OK, I trust you. <laughs> I trust that you got it handled. I'm like, yep, I have it handled. I have no idea how it's going to be handled. I just felt it. I, I didn't have anything, okay? But what's amazing was after I felt this way, literally within three days, oh my goodness, we got not one, not two, I think three opportunities. And I think then we started working with Sony, with Intel, and, and oh my goodness, like suddenly we went from starvation to, oh, we were so full. <laughs> we missed so much work, so, a lot of money flowing in. It just, again, it's, the universe shows you externally once you feel it inside. Deep down inside, I had I gained faith. I felt yeah. I felt this lightness. I felt that yes, for sure, we're going to be taken care of. There's mm -hmm. nothing for me to worry about. There's nothing for me to to be fearful of. When I felt that, suddenly externally, my reality became that. Yeah. You know, I, I can't again. If you ask me like. How do you do that? Can you show me technically how to do that? I can't show you technically how to do that. <laughs> Let me attempt to recap what you're saying. Because as a host, as my, as also as an engineer, I, I want to make observations and make some insights, hopefully. So the way I hear you say is, let me actually bring some context first. Most people, they walk around in life saying, I got to do this thing so then I can have this result. And when I have the result, then I can be somebody. Right. But the way that you articulate it beautifully is first you focus on the way of being and how you activated that way of being is through language. And by, by being aware and, oh, I was missing faith. 
now all of a sudden you are now aware of this, then you immediately shifted a way of being from not having faith to having faith. And that sub change of subjective reality. And then that also opens up this brand new space of new possibilities of things that you could be doing, which may be nothing, but you're able to immediately shift your physiology. You skip out of the, the gym, you put your hands around your co-founder, ensure him that things are going to be okay. So you be and you do something different and you would then have the results that you had. Is that an accurate way to reflect? That's, that's exactly right. You got that formula, right? It's be, do, have, right? The whole world works on have, do, be. It's people feel like if I have something, then I can do something, then I can feel a certain way or I can be a certain way. And that's actually, you have it exactly backwards. Like your feeling is not dependent on any external factor. You can choose to be happy right now, or you can choose to be sad right now. Nothing has to happen to you and you can choose that feeling. And from that place, then everything you do. So if I choose to be happy right now, then everywhere I go, everything I do, I do it from a place of happiness. And that energy is infectious, right? Everyone around me is going to feel it. They go, oh my God, look at this guy, this lucky go, this joyous, this happy fella. And they, they will enjoy working with me or playing with me or co-creating with me. And then when you do something from a place of that, of, of joy, of love, guess what? Whatever you do, it's going to become successful because the energy that you're putting into it is that of success because it's that of love. So then when you put that energy into it, then it has no choice but to succeed. And then, yeah, when you do that, then you can have whatever you want, which is if, if you want money will come. If you want fame, fame will follow. It's just, they're byproducts. But when people feel like I need to first have money, because if I have money, then I can go on this cruise. And if I can go on this cruise, then I can be happy. Then guess what? <laughs> You're going to be stuck. <laughs> you can just choose happy right now. If you choose happy right now, then that cruise is going to show up. <laughs> and you go, hey, there's that cruise. Cool. <laughs> and that's just what I see time and again. So, so, so agree 100%. Uh, huge believer in that. We make what we are. Uh, our external reality is a re direct reflection of our internal reality. Totally there for you. However, what would you say to the non-believers, right? To, to, to people who are the younger version of CK, I just throwing on the bus that who let, who says, oh, show me evidence, show me reality, right? I'm not going to try on this new way of thinking until I have some proof. What would you say to the younger version of CK? What do you got to lose? Try something new. Mm. If this old way hasn't served you, things haven't worked out. What do you got to lose? Try this new thing. That's just like saying you looked at your reflection in the mirror and you say, Hey man, you move first and I'll move. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If I move, you'll see that reflection. It's going to move with me. No, that's good. Uh, and I that's like exactly that. what's happening with this. Like my yeah. inner world, you change that. When this thing feels a certain way, you're going to see it outside. And the outside is literally the mirror, is the reflection of your inner world. What I'll say to younger CK is this, right? Because he's an easy target. <laughs> uh, the worst case scenario is that you enjoy life better. That would be the worst scenario. <laughs> now you have the external thing, that's the brownie point on top, right? That's gravy. But the worst case scenario, you try it, you didn't like it, you didn't have the result that you want, you will have a great fucking time living your life. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. 
I totally agree. Question about this, because you, I, I know that you love talking about spirituality, personal development, blending with business. How do you do it gracefully so it doesn't feel like you're evangelizing something like a like a religious evangelist? I think it's everything is contextual, right? Mm -hmm. If it shows up organically, then you talk about it. You don't just sit down at a dinner party or a business meeting and go, okay, let's talk about God, <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you think about God, <laughs> right? That's going to be like, wait, what's happening here? Uh, if something shows up and it triggers, and usually what I find most helpful is by telling your personal stories, because people love stories, right? Because when you tell a personal story, people can relate to that. Instead of giving someone a big idea, a theory, who cares? Those yeah sometimes you go oh well that's great and I, I get it okay i can apply that to my life but for some other people like i don't see how what that's got anything to do with with me or how i'm gonna pay my bills next month or make my money so then you bring it down a notch and then just share your stories with others i think that's what's really going to help and i i feel my all my businesses everything i've done the the one thing they gave me that the, the the biggest gift I got out of them was just all these amazing stories <laughs> that now I can share with others, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And with the right context, I share the right story, then it's really going to help you. That's mm -hmm. it. Again, I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm not here to push any ideas. Again, my belief is my belief. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to believe what I believe because, you know, I'm perfectly happy with what I believe. But if what I believe serves you in any way, try it. Again, do that when... If you hear my words and you feel, oh, there's something about what he's saying that resonates with me on a certain level. Okay, then that only that simply means you already know what I'm sharing with you, right? I'm not telling you anything new, right? I'm not giving you a whole new concept. This is already deep down in you. You have this wisdom, this knowledge, this information. It just, it's stored away somewhere. You haven't unlocked it. You haven't opened that chest in a long time. So if it resonates, that just simply means you already know this on a very deep level. Now act on it. Try it out. Again, what do you got to lose? If nothing else is working out for you, try something new. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't like what we're talking about, the, the way I see it from my point of view as a PhD researcher, I look at my life as a series of experiments. Mm. I don't like this experiment. This doesn't actually for my purpose, mission, and then the metrics I'm looking for. Great. Design a new experiment. Hence why I'm constantly experimenting with different things. Actually, I want to share with you, this is maybe interesting for you. One of the most recent experiments that I have is I, I call it emotional Tabata. Tabata, the, the physical I, workout. Yep. I do that. I used to do it every morning too. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So it's 20 seconds. For those of you that don't know, Tabata is invented by this Japanese guy, last name Tabata. But essentially the workout is 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, whatever it may be for you. And the whole idea is to keep your heart rate at a really high level without dying, of course. <laughs> so, so then do that for four minutes. And for anyone who complained that, oh my God, I don't have time to work out, Tabata is great because everyone, I don't care how busy you are, you have four minutes to take care of your physical machinery. Okay, so this new experiment I'm taking on is emotional Tabata, meaning what could I do to stretch my emotions? Maybe I'll, I'll just give you an example. So in my case, it's excitement and anger. That to me is like a spectrum that I can really stretch. Because for me, 
uh, if you interact with me enough, is uh, is uh, I'm pretty uh, calm overall. So I want to extend the expression range that I have. So excitement and, and anger is something that I'm stretching. So 20 seconds on, just really push myself 100% what excitement looks like, and then 10 seconds off, and then 20 seconds on again, uh, what rage looks like. So that way I can actually stretch my emotional comfort zone as well as here's the secondary benefit of that is when you are able to stand in both positive emotion and negative emotion per se, and then you get integration. And now the, the middle part, no longer it's weird to be a here, but I could actually be totally normalized and be fully integrated in a harmonious state. So that's an experiment I'm taking on. How do you artificially create a certain emotion? I don't know how I can just say, feel rage, Tian, feel it. I, I, it I, you do your best. You, you do, do your best. Yeah, you just artificially. So the way I see it is imagine myself as an actor. Could I try on, let's say, con of Star Trek as an example, like ruthless, you just try on that rage for 20 seconds and then and then pause and then try on being a fairy right sprinkling fairy dust and unicorns and, and rainbows everywhere as an example try on different characters so that way i'm no longer constrained by the character or the personality or the identity ck i can actually just try on something else new and the point of this is what like what are you trying to achieve uh, yeah, great. Emotion, extend my ex emotional range and expression. Interesting. Okay, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> Although, just try it. Yeah, yeah, just, just I mean, look, look, I, I, you know, I can definitely do the excitement and, 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 and happiness part because that part of emotion I, I know very well. <laughs> yeah. But the other stuff, I, I may have to think of some kind of past experience that really enrage me and see if that could trigger something. Let's see, this may be a whole different rabbit hole of a conversation, but, but, but I think it's really important because one may say rage is a quote unquote negative emotion. Therefore, let me stay away from that. Let me suppress it. Let me just don't even go there because it's quote unquote toxic. However, I disagree there because that's, I've tried that before. I try to suppress my emotions overall, actually, any kind. So, yeah, so that's, I think that's where the problem is, is suppressing any kind of emotions, right? Like, I, I believe, I'm a believer again, it just, if this emotion comes up, feel it and express it, right? If you ever watched, do you ever, have you ever watched like Ducks Fight? Is that my, my, why I live in Sherman Oaks and there was this beautiful park, like 10 minutes from where I lived, there's a lake. And I, I will watch these birds and these ducks all the time. And I see these ducks get into fights and they fight and then they part ways and then they both start shaking their tails. And then you realize, oh, wow, they're just releasing all that energy. They just, all that excess energy, that anger, whatever they're feeling, they just released it. And then they're back to normal. Everything is, they're very calm again. And I think that's very healthy. It's okay if something makes you angry and then feel it. Be in that anger, express it, let it out, but then don't hold on to it, right? Yep. Certainly don't suppress it. Because yep. honestly, I think that's really how a lot of people get cancer, is yep. when you suppress your anger. <laughs> you know, 
100%. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point earlier, I wanted to underline why I'm doing this particular exercise, the, the emotion on Tabata. Because on the surface, it's like, it's a little weird. Like, why are you purposefully putting yourself in that state, that either excitement or rage? The reason is very similar to exercising, the way I see it, is I'm conditioning my body in such a way with acute stress that I know that I'm imposing on myself, right, out of my own choice, such that the system's resilience for exercising is there when I need to. So there's that capacity. So similarly with emotions, it's very much the same thing. I may not be well-versed being in the rage state. So when it does come, it feels very awkward, uncomfortable. I can't really manage this energy, but if I'm actually able to extend that range, mm -hmm. then it's normalized. Then I can channel it properly. Victor Frankl said between stimulus and response, there's lies in space and in that space lies our growth and freedom. So I'm extending that stimulus and response capacity such that I have more options. I have more finesse, I have more control, I have more precision to know, oh, this is what excitement feels like. Oh, this is what rage feels like. What options do I want to have in this particular situation? Does that give you more context of why I'm doing this? Yeah, but I think more importantly, I think given what you said earlier that when you were younger, right, you said you, you suppressed all your emotions or that's what you tried to do. So for someone, if that's where you came from, then I think it's useful for you to do this now to really, for the lack of a better term, know what it feels like to be human. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, yeah, I mean, to feel that. Now, for someone like me, I never had to suppress my emotions ever in my life. You know, I, again, I, I'm very fortunate. I felt like that. And I remember in my high school years, I loved listening to like Rage Against the Machine, Nine Inch Nails, mm -hmm. right? All those, mm -hmm. you know, the metal bands and stuff. And I, I just, what's funny was like a few years ago, I put on my Nine Snail CD. It just, it didn't do anything for me anymore. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have that angst. Remember the teenage angst, the anger, the mm -hmm. frustration. I didn't have any of it. And that music just sounded like noise to me now. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, this doesn't serve me anymore. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't need to listen to it anymore. I just, again, for me, I guess this, I'm in my forties, right? So mm -hmm. I just, I, for the most, I just feel peace and calm and tranquility and harmony that's the kind of state i'm in and I, i'm actually very happy here <laughs> but that's, that's right occasionally especially with my partner my partner being my my queen i think she's the only one who could trigger <laughs> certain mm -hmm. emotions and give me the how can you make me feel this way besides her like no one else could really get me there <laughs> and, and that's when i know okay i still gotta keep working on myself <laughs> and this is why she's in my life <laughs> she's my teacher <laughs> yeah yeah Beautifully said. I really appreciate the context of that she is a partner. She is someone who helps you see or giving you opportunities for growth that yeah. no other people can, right? So that's beautifully said. No other people can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, let's say someone who is curious about this whole concept of bridging business and spirituality. Are there any kind of books or any kind of podcasts that people can have? You set up productive conversations. This podcast, <laughs> right? I think you know, that's what you, this is what you specialize in. Thank you. Thank you. I listen to all the time is London Real. I read what? London Real with uh, Brian Weiss. 
That's mm -hmm. a really good one. He he interviews all these very interesting, amazing people. That's one I would listen to. The books, I, I think the very first spiritual business book I read was The Diamond Cutter. And that mm -hmm. was excellent book. It was written by a former monk who then got into the diamond business and made tens of millions of dollars applying his, the principles, everything he learned as being a monk, a Buddhist monk. And that book really, I would say that was like a, like a door opening book for me, the diamond cutter. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I think when you learn a lot of the spiritual principles, you can apply them to business. Like another one of my favorite books is the four agreements. Mm -hmm. right, which I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah, you, Alan Luis Miguel, yeah. Exactly, yes. You can just apply that to business all the day in and day out, right? Don't make assumptions. People make assumptions all the time. How many times where you're working on a deal and suddenly this guy you're talking to disappeared and didn't respond to your email for a week or two weeks. And suddenly now you write them, you write him and you write him again. And he doesn't respond. You're just, oh, what an asshole. He's probably, he's shady and this, that. You start going to the start place. And then suddenly he reappears maybe a month later and says, hey, I'm so sorry. I had a family emergency. My mom passed away. I can, and suddenly now you feel like an asshole for, for feeling all those things. Like that just wasn't the case. You just, you started playing this story in your own mind about this guy. Don't make assumptions. That's always, I think that's a really great, great principle that you can apply. And also another one is don't take anything personally. You know, I think we always take things personally, especially in business, but it's just business. <laughs> and also they're saying this not because of you, like clearly when they say something toxic, it's, they're simply projecting what you should, what you can get out of that is that, oh, wow, this guy must've gone through something painful. He probably got betrayed many times. And that's why he's got this, this wound that's not even healed. And now he's projecting that onto you. Don't take it personally and just talk to this person with love. And in fact, I'm dealing with something very similar right now in one of my business deals. And I can just see these parties, they're calling each other names They're But again, it came from, it's not because of anything these guys have done to each other. It's all because of these past experiences, these bad past experiences that they went through. And then now they're projecting and they're assuming, oh, I, I see the signals. I, I think I see a pattern. I think you're saying these things because I heard those things from these other guys who betrayed me last time who didn't work, work out. And I think you're now, you're one of them. No, they're, they may not be at all. They just, again, don't make assumptions and don't take it personally. <laughs> are there communities that you purposefully put yourself in? Do you, is, are there conferences or communities or events that you're like, yeah, I want to have this type of conversation. Therefore, I'm going to purposefully put myself in those I, environments. I actually create those myself. Like okay. I, I had this group called the co-creation group for two, two, three years. I had this thing called King's Brunch. Again, like all these amazing men, we come together, but like we call ourselves Kings and we meet up and we talk about what we went through the past month. We keep each other accountable. We talk about what we want to achieve next. It's amazing. Also, you and I are part of a group called Metal, right? Like it's a men's group. I met some amazing men in that group. And I think that's the only, is that the only one that I joined? I think maybe that, that may be the only one that I actually joined. And the others, I just, I'm one of those people, if I need something, I go, oh, this, no one created this? Okay, I'll create this. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And also, because I'm surrounded by a lot of amazing people. Again, I feel just really fortunate all my friends are just so incredibly 
heart-centered and talented and, and amazing. They're just magical. So I already have my tribe in a way. I have my, you know, I have my support team. I can go to any of them and talk about any kind of issues. And, and then, and that's also for me, like a lot of my friends don't know each other either. So I try to create these situations and groups where I can bring them all and say, Hey, you guys should meet each other because I know you can play together or you can help each other out. You okay for some rapid fire question? No, 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 sure. I'm going to say no. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. What movies have changed the way you look at reality? Ooh, the matrix. Mm -hmm. There are a few other ones. Oh, first, well, I wouldn't say they changed the way I looked at reality, but they just, the movies I'm really into, like First Contact, I just watched that about Daryl, the guy who channels Bashar. You know, mm -hmm. Prime. It's a great uh, documentary on his story, how he started channeling and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe, huh. okay, interesting. The Secret. When I watched The Secret, I thought most of it was BS mm -hmm. <laughs> when I first watched it. But there were some golden nuggets that I go, let me try this out. Because again, it's like, this was right at the beginning of my, actually it was right before my spiritual awakening. Mm. You know? And I had zero interest in movies or books like that. But this one just kept on showing up in my life. So one day I was like, you know what? Let me watch it. Just for, just for, for, it. Go for, for it. shits and giggles. <laughs> so I did. And that definitely opened the door for me. What's your definition of purpose? What's my definition of purpose? I guess for me, it's really my life's work, my mission, how I serve. That's my definition for purpose. It's really what calls you to do like something that you just, this is the one thing that you just really want to do. Or maybe it's not one, but two or three. Even if it's just going fishing, like all you want to do is go fishing, then go do that. That may be your purpose. You don't have to explain that to anyone else because this is for you. <laughs> you don't need anyone to give you some kind of recognition or validation for, oh yeah, great job. You don't need that. What's your definition of wealth? Ooh, to me, it's really fulfillment. It's fulfillment, but it's also good health is part of it, right? Because if you don't have good health, you can't enjoy it. Also, it's having very healthy relationships, right? Because what's what are you going to do with all the money if you have no one to share it with? <laughs> and also it's about giving back. It's about how do you pay it for? How do you help others around you? Because this same thing, it's if I have all the money and everyone else around me is starving, ultimately they're going to kill me. That's just what's going to happen. That's how revolutions come about. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the truth is you can't be that happy if everywhere you see, everywhere you look is just misery. How can you be happy when everything, everyone else around you is unhappy? It just can't. So help them, you know, see what you can do for them, how you can get them to where you are. What's one of the best or most worthwhile investment you've ever made? Myself, just reading, but like just invest into yourself, do the work. There are certain books that doesn't cost much. It's just certain if you four agreements, right? How much is that book? $10? That's a great investment. <laughs> Get in. I love that. I think you answered my next question, which is what is the book that you've given most as a gift and why? Actually, the book that I gave most as a gift was actually the, what's that water book now? Hidden Messages in Water by Emoto. So that book is, I gave out so many copies of that book. I think I gave out the Diamond Cutter. I gave out a lot of copies of that book as well. 
I may have given out a few copies of the four agreement. Man, I've given out a lot of books. I can't even remember now. I just usually, if I read a book and it's so good, I just literally I go on Amazon, I buy a bunch, like a box of them, and I keep them in my office. And then I meet someone, you say at dinner or lunch, or they come to my office, I talk to them, and I go, oh, I feel like you could benefit from this. And I, I would just give them a copy. <laughs> That's very generous. That's very generous. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. We have had quite a journey together. I want to really acknowledge you for the willingness to dance this you know, conversation with me. We navigated through different waters from you know, the brethren's shoes, why you got started, how you make your decisions to be do half model versus do have be to the nature of spirituality, purpose, and really how you create a thriving community all around you such that wealth, true wealth, you know, this joy of living comes up for you naturally. And thank you for demonstrating that and share a lot of the beautiful tactical things that really helped you in the process. Really appreciate you. Thank you. I feel the same. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing what you do. This is amazing. And I want to offline, I want to learn from you on how to do this thing that you do. <laughs> <laughs>